Welcome to episode 66 of the Root Horror Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus. And uh, today I'll be talking to special guest filmmaker Charlie Steeds as he drops in to talk about his films, the horror genre, and what's next for Charlie Steeds. So it's going to be a great episode. Hope you all enjoy. Uh, But before we get into the episode, I just want to mention a few things that are coming up uh, around the Quad Cities, Illinois in Iowa side of uh, things where events are happening. Friday, August 13th at 6 p.m., Midwest Monster Fest presents a grindhouse double feature of movies Spring Fever and High on the Hog. So make your way down to the Village Theater in the East Village Davenport uh, for double feature screening of Spring Fever and High on the Hog. It's only $5 to get in. You're going to see two great indie films with uh, special guest appearances, and there will be a Q&A for each film hosted by me from Root Horror Podcast. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, it's actually going to be my first uh, live Q&A, so I'm pretty excited about that. And uh, I hope a lot of uh, people attend, and, and hopefully whoever's listening to this podcast, hopefully I will see you there. Um, but if you're if you're from out of town, there are uh, hotels nearby. Um, there's a place called My Place Hotel. It's in Davenport. You can get a special rate of seventy dollars for one bed or seventy five for two beds. And uh, you know, take advantage of the in-house bar if you're twenty one and older. Uh, you know, there's going to be drinks there, and uh, you know, drink responsibly. So if uh, you're going to be drinking make sure to get an uber or lyft so you know you don't put yourself in danger and put others in danger and no one wants to get pulled over and uh have to pay all them fines and go to jail and all that uh stuff that goes with that uh but you know it's gonna be a fun time there's gonna be vendor tables there you can purchase movies uh and uh merchant you know movie merchandise for the films that are going to be there, like shirts, posters, and uh, you know the filmmakers are going to be there themselves. So you might be able to get some stuff signed if you want. Uh, and uh, Jeff from Midwest Monster Fest will be there with a table full of Midwest Monster Fest merch and tickets, so you can buy tickets right from him if you want to attend. Uh, which that'll be happening September third, fourth, and fifth. Tons of celebrities are going to be there. Tons of vendors. It's going to be an awesome time. But yeah, this is going to be a great event happening August 13th. The double feature. And then uh, also uh, my buddy Jason from Death Stitch Custom Clothing will be there selling his uh, clothing items that are mostly horror based and uh, custom made. So uh, make sure to stop by his table and see what he has to offer. Uh, there is possibly going to be a food truck there, uh, but nothing is uh, set in stone yet, so I will keep you guys updated on that. Uh, usually on my social media, I'll probably keep you updated there, or uh, you know, maybe by the next episode. Uh, I'm not sure exactly uh, when that will be because I'm going to be doing a Rude Horror Radio episode, possibly before then, so I might make one more announcement about it. 
Uh, otherwise, I'll be taking a break until after the event, and then I'll be back with more episodes for y'all. Uh, but speaking of Spring Fever, there's an Indiegogo campaign going on right now for getting the soundtrack on vinyl. So if you're a soundtrack collector or a vinyl collector, you like to collect soundtracks to movies, uh, this is a great chance to get in on a limited run of vinyls to an indie horror film. So don't miss it. I will put the link in the description of this episode if you're interested in checking that out. But without further ado, uh, let's get into the episode with filmmaker Charlie Steeds as he talks about his films and the horror genre and what's next for Charlie Steeds. Hello, everybody. You're listening to the Rude Horror Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus, and today I'm here with director, editor, writer, producer, Charlie Steeds, and he's worked on films such as Death Ranch, A Werewolf in England, The Barge People, Winter Skin, Vampire Virus, and uh, he's also working on a, a few other movies, which I don't know if he'll be able to talk about a whole lot, but... Uh, it's incredible to have uh, Charlie Steeds on here, who's made, uh, you know, countless movies in, in a short amount of time, I think, which is incredible. Um, Charlie, man, uh, how's it going? Very good, thank you. Thanks for inviting me on. Yes, my pleasure, man. So, uh, first off, as, as I was mentioning, like, you, you've done several horror movies. What inspired you to want to become a filmmaker? Um, well, ever since I was pretty young, sort of like 10 years old, 12 years old, something something around that sort of age, um, I just became really obsessed with films. I mean, I always loved films, um, but around that sort of age, I started to realise what a director is and what a director does. Um, I was really into Tim Burton movies, and you can see a very distinct style through Tim Burton's movies. Um, and that's what sort of taught me to see what the director was doing and what the director was bringing to each project because because it's so obvious with Tim Burton with his visual style um, and the music is the same and the stories are very similar um, so you have all these similarities I was able to tie these types of stories together and realize that this is what the filmmaker is doing and the director um, so that was really what started to get me interested you know I just had it in my head that I wanted to direct films and kind of luckily I guess I've just been sort of hell-bent on doing it since then I've just been obsessed with the idea of directing and uh, as a teenager I did finally pick up a camera um, and start to make my own short films um, which is a whole other thing in itself because you you know you start to learn the the uh, the the just all the different things that come with filmmaking the pressures uh you know it's, it's not particularly easy um but uh yeah you know I, I i was able to just get going at a really young age and i kind of just not stopped um i kind of just made short film after short film and now i'm making feature film after feature film um and uh where horror came into it was just that i mean i'm a fan of 
all types of movies. Um, I have pretty wide taste, and I mean, I always say if a, if a film's good, then I'll just I'll enjoy it. Um, but horror, like a lot of like for a lot of horror fans, is my obsession, and you can really obsess over the horror genre. I'm always I've always been drawn to like darker things, um, maybe because I'm a very like happy relaxed and chilled out person uh, and quite sort of you know nothing I'm the sort of person really nothing really gets me down um so maybe that's why I enjoy horror so much because uh you know I get to I get to enjoy and indulge in that sort of side of things right right yeah like horror is like uh, uh you know like you, you sort of see it as like a lifestyle nowadays like you know there's a, you know I think there's a bigger horror uh, crowd than you know than I think there ever has been like there's just been so much uh, uh, people just showing their love for horror movies and uh, you know a lot of callbacks to like the 80s horror films and uh, you know I think maybe that kind of helped with like Stranger Things kind of bringing back uh, the mm-hmm. nostalgia in in a big uh, universal way and uh you know, I, I can definitely see uh, some 80s influence in some of your films and yeah, and even just like even just like the uh, like even like the beginning credits and whatnot, like really uh, makes it seem like, man, this is totally something that I could see come out of like the early 80s or, <laughs> uh, you know, like uh, uh, like an English haunting or, you know, like some. some even like the barge people kind of had something similar um yeah well i guess you can can tell from my movies that i'm really mostly inspired by 70s and 80s horror movies i mean i say i'm a huge horror fan and i am but as far as modern horror films go um you know i'm i'm not uh, you know i couldn't massively rave about too many of them but if you're talking about the 60s and the 70s and the 80s you know, that's the horror golden age and I'm just obsessed, you know. And for anyone who right. wants to be a filmmaker and is interested in uh, in film and is in love with, like, you know, the techniques of filmmaking, the horror genre has it all, you know. And then if you're someone like me who enjoys sort of collecting things, you know, like a, has a great big Blu-ray collection or something like that, the horror genre is great for that too because you have all the franchises and you have all the directors and you can sort of like follow and collect like a whole sequence of movies, um, which is why the, I mean, that's why I think people can get so geeky and nerdy about horror. Right, right. It like, uh, you know, I, I want to bring up like uh, the credit intros a little bit because uh, I before watching your movies, like way back, uh, I think like, well, uh, House of the Devil, directed by Ty West came out like 2009 mm-hmm. and he kind of had the the approach of like you know making a movie based in the 80s or you know early 80s and somehow he made it just look so authentic and like it almost looked like man am I watching like you know the movie came out in 2009 but it almost like was like was this actually made in the 80s and then like you know brought you know, it was like unearthed years later. Like it, it totally had like that 80s, uh, early 80s, uh, late 70s type of vibe. Yeah, and, uh, I remember putting on yeah. House of the Devil for the first time and the title text, 
I, you know, yeah, like you say, it really stood out. You know, I still remember thinking, wow, this feels so authentically 80s or sort of late 70s, um, which is just really cool. I mean, now you see it a little bit done to death. I mean, uh, loads of people are doing it nowadays. It kind of pops up at the start of a, a whole load of movies. Um, I'd say um, I'm a huge Quentin Tarantino fan and a lot of Tarantino movies. Um, they have those types of, you know, real throwback, nostalgic opening title sequences. I guess it just sort of brings up the question of, you know, why did we ever get rid of those types of amazing title fonts? I mean, you look at Stranger Things now and it's so stylish. The 80s is so stylish. Um, and then uh, you look at some of the modern horror films with some of the just really boring titles i mean i miss i miss main titles in general i love a film with a good long opening title sequence i mean it, it sets the scene it sets the tone i think it's a really important part of the movie yeah definitely i i definitely agree and uh you know so like i, I know you you use uh some very stylish like intro credits to a lot of your films and uh you know i you know, kind of to swing back around, like uh, to what we're saying, like it really sets the mood, I think, for the, the film that we're about to watch. And uh, you know, it, it's great. Even like the the soundtracks to your films are really captivating, and they're not just like, you know, your typical boring. Just all right, let's just throw in some suspenseful music. Like they're actually a little, little bit thought out, and uh, you know. Yeah, I'm adds, glad, adds another layer to your films. I'm glad you noticed that and I'm glad you think that because, I mean, the soundtrack is such an important part of, of a movie. Um, and I know a bunch of other filmmakers working at um, my sort of lower budget level who will just use, you know, pre-made music and public domain music or stock music. Um, but I honestly couldn't imagine making a film where I didn't have control of the soundtrack, you know. And in, in some cases... Um, I mean, I wouldn't say making a soundtrack is as difficult as like making the film itself, but it certainly is a part of the film that takes it. it, it it's a whole thing in itself. You're creating an hour worth of music. You're you're collaborating with a composer uh, to create this whole huge thing. I mean, separate to the movie, even uh, this whole piece of music is, you know, got to be made from scratch. Um, so it can be really hard work. And I'm very, very specific uh with what i want the music to be doing and uh you know the the type of sound i want the instruments that are going to be used and we often go through multiple tracks that we just throw away because they're not right before we finally land on what what is the music that uh has got the sort of feel and the sense and the atmosphere of the film um i really it's a part of the filmmaking process i really enjoy very cool very cool yeah, and uh, you know, just just looking at uh, some of your filmography, you've stuck mostly to the horror genre, and you know, I know that's a genre that that you love, that and you know, that you have great interest in. Mm -hmm. But you know, your, your whole filmography is not just you know strictly like oh zombie films or you know all vampire films. You have a wide range of uh, films that are just completely different, like subgenres. Um, which is awesome, by the way. And uh, is that something that, uh, as a filmmaker, like you just want to try to 
uh, not make the same movie twice in a way. Like you want to try to make uh, everything just very different. Yeah, I think, you know, you work so much on one project when you go to the next one, you kind of want it to be radically different. You know, I, I know I always or I know I mostly want to be working in the horror genre. I, I kind of just I've always loved horror films. I've always pictured myself as making horror. And it's something that I feel like I know how I can, you know, I know where to start when it comes to like writing a horror script per se. And then even though I'm a huge fan of movies like a couple of my favorites, uh, uh, Almost Famous and American Beauty, uh, these are not horror films, obviously. Uh, I love sitting and watching those movies and the sort of warm, fuzzy feelings and the comedy and the lightheartedness. But I cannot do that when it comes to script writing and stuff. I don't know where to even begin. Um, but when it comes to, you know, terrorizing people or in fact none of my I've never attempted to really make any of my films scary um I just like sort of I don't know um brutality and darkness and intense stories and taboo subject matters and that's just what gets me creatively going you know um so that's kind of what I've I've enjoyed doing that's uh I've just sort of enjoyed being the the horror the horror uh, person but um when it comes to horror, it's a huge genre, as you say. There's tons of subgenres to it. Um, and right from my first two horror movies, I made one called Escape from Cannibal Farm in the US. It's just Cannibal Farm, which was a sort of Texas Chainsaw Massacre inspired, uh, but set in Britain, um, you know, gritty uh, sort of backwards slasher movie. Um, so I love to then go and have a look at a bunch of, I love to pull out my DVD collection, a bunch of backwards slasher movies, have a little look at Hills Have Eyes, have a little look at Wrong Turn and all these types of films. And then that sort of inspires you and fills you with creativity um, when it comes to writing your own script, but kind of always with a um, an emphasis on not wanting to repeat the genre. You know, you want to subvert people's expectations. Uh, I think in Escape from Cannibal Farm, I subverted expectations a little bit too much because uh, I don't want to spoil like the twists and turns of the films. But uh, but you you don't really get the cannibals in Escape from Cannibal Farm are not what you think. You know, I should have maybe just given people some wrong turn cannibals. Um, instead, there's a bit more sort of thought and uh, subversion of the genre going on. Um, for better or worse. Um, but then, you know, having made that movie, when it came to my second horror movie, uh, The House of Violent Desire, I wanted to do something just radically different because by the time you've been on the set and you've been, you know, you've been covered in blood and you've been on the farm and you've got hail in your clothes and you're covered in dust and dirt and grit, you know, you want to just have a complete change of scenery. So then, off we were for House of Violent Desire to this castle. Uh, we filmed it in the south of France in this huge castle. Um, and it's a very different style. It's, it's slow, it's elegant, it's inspired by, um, you know, Mario Bava movies, Italian Gothic horror. Um, and then I get to sort of play with that side of things. It's, it's radically different. Um, and I like, to, I like to switch it up between projects. Right on. Yeah, uh, I wanted to get so quick about the Cannibal Farm movie. Uh, when I was watching it, I noticed uh, one of the characters' name was Toby. Was that like intentional? 
you know, because, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre directors, Toby Hooper, was well, that kind of like a little homage thing to him? Well, in, uh, in Cannibal Farm, uh, the lead villain is called Hunt Hansen, and they call it uh, the Hansen Farm, which is uh, a definite reference to Gunnar Hansen, who played um, Leatherface. Uh, I think I just read, he wrote a book, um, might have been called Chainsaw Confidential or something like that, which is a really great book about uh, the behind the scenes making of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, which is not my favourite horror film, but I, I do adore that horror film. Um, I just, I think it's, I think it's a great movie. Um, right. That one is definitely a reference. Uh, the other names are not really references, but I've read some reviews that have um, picked out almost every single name in the film and said, oh, he's referencing this. You know, Wesley is a reference to Wes Craven and this guy is a reference to this guy. Sam is a reference to Sam Raimi. But um, I think you could probably pick any name and attribute it to some person who worked in horror. There's probably every name. Um, but the, the Hanson was the one that was definitely a reference, yeah. Okay. Very cool. You know, believe um, it, like when I wrote that into the script, I kind of thought, you know, maybe some horror fans are going to get this, maybe not. And I even probably stupidly thought, you know, hopefully people get Texas Chainsaw vibes from this movie. Maybe they won't. And then the film comes out and the trailer comes out. And in fact, even when I was shooting it through the camera, I was looking at it thinking, wow, this kind of looks similar to like Leatherface, you know, like it kind of looks like I'm ripping off Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which wasn't really the intention. I mean, if you're going to set a horror film on a farm um, and you're going to put someone, you know, what 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 the character's going to wear? Well, they'll wear a butcher apron and I'm going to give them a chainsaw and suddenly, oh shit, you're kind of ripping off Leatherface and then getting people angry on the internet and stuff. But um, when, the, uh, when the trailer first came out, somebody went into the, somebody re-edited the trailer to um, changed the title from Cannibal Farm to Leatherface uh, and the new Leatherface movie oh. was on its way out it was a few months from coming out and so within a couple of days the trailer got like five million views um, with people thinking it was the new Leatherface movie and uh, every day I was seeing um, people filming like trailer reactions and talking about uh, you know the new Leatherface movie and how good it looked and then people realized, you know, it's not the it's not the new Leatherface movie. It's just some really, really low budget British film. And some people even made like apology videos saying, sorry, you know, I got it totally wrong. It's just some shitty British horror movie. It's not the new Leatherface, you know, oh, how embarrassing. But the kind of the team that made the film were kind of like, hang on you know a couple of days ago you were saying this looked like a great texas chainsaw massacre film now you found out it's not leatherface you're trying to tell me it's looking like garbage <laughs> like you know what one is it <laughs> right and now now that you're talking about this i think i do remember uh seeing something like you know i mean uh about like you know the new leatherface movie and then it was actually like scenes trailers for uh cannibal farm yeah. uh, I, I, that actually like you know triggered something like i do remember when that happened so yeah. I, I think i did see it on youtube one time yeah but you know when, when people watch uh, 
uh, there definitely is some big differences from like you know, you know cannibal farm to texas chainsaw massacre like there is some substantial differences so yeah i mean the plot is people survive this you know yeah the, the the plot is completely radically different but um where my brain was at and where my brain kind of still has been at is that um you know when you make a little low budget indie film with no actors that are that are you know famous um no monster that's famous you know it's not freddy it's not jason you know what what's going to get people to watch the film and kind of the sad truth is a lot of people just they're not going to give your film the time of day unless there's something they can relate it to you know so let's say you know every horror fan is a fan of texas chainsaw massacre i mean that's basically true so if you can make your film have the texas chainsaw massacre vibe and that sort of look then texas chainsaw fans will be drawn to your movie um and in fact that that sort of similarity is uh in the sort of look and style has gone a really long way in getting the movie actually seen by people and sold um then you take for example the house of violent desire that i mentioned uh, that film really has no similarity to anything except from perhaps um, obscure Italian gothic horror movies and is not as successful or well-known or viewed because, you know, it doesn't have that sort of rip-off element. You know, everyone complains about, oh, this film's ripping this off and ripping that off and just a copy of that. Um, but the truth is you aren't going to watch it unless you kind of know what you're getting. Um, and cheap knockoff yeah. Texas Chainsaw Massacre is still kind of an okay night for a horror fan, you know? <laughs> right, right. That, that is kind of like a sad thing in a way that, you know, you might not get a lot of views on, on your movie because, you know, there might not be something there that uh, is familiar for them. You know, there's a lot of people that are drawn to like slasher films you know being like you know jason Voorhees or leatherface mm -hmm. you know if there's something like those guys chances are people will will check it out or even you know similar to the name title like if you have the word massacre in your name title uh, chances are that you're going to get a lot of people watching it because you know there's been so many iconic movies with the word massacre in it <laughs> yeah which, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't know if that's just like it is it is what it is type thing or, you know, I mean, hopefully one day we'll move from like just the stereotypical horror names and, you know, hopefully people will actually give other movies a chance. Um, yeah, well, I think if you look at you films know. like, if you look at uh, the horror movies that someone like A24 are putting out, or uh, the guys that did Mandy um, and Color Out of Space. Uh, there's a lot of very original uh, horror movies coming out at the moment um, in the sort of mainstream. And I think that's really cool. We're definitely seeing um, lots of interesting films. It's sort of like this, this new wave, um, you know, what, what some people started to call post-horror. Uh, or whatever that whole thing was about, you know, this this new wave of, like artsy, you know, um, great horror movies. So that's a really nice place for horror. Yeah, for sure. Mm. Um, 
like uh veering back to like uh to like your films uh i've noticed watching your films i'm seeing a lot of like familiar faces mm-hmm. you, know, you know a lot of the actors seem to uh find a way back into your films now is that like a thing that like that they're just like you know easy accessible to get a hold of or are they like the best actor fit for the for the roles or you know did, did you make uh the script for these particular actors yeah i mean i've always found it um kind of important and also in a way kind of like inspiring when it comes to actually writing a script um to have a kind of collective of actors that i like to go back to um I, I like directors who, when I watch their movies, I'm seeing the same faces again and again. Um, I mean, it's just it's just true that when you work with an actor, um, the more you work with them, the more you become comfortable with each other and are willing to sort of challenge each other and push each other's boundaries. Um, and I really enjoy that. You know, they, they do become like a little family. And in terms of like crew, um my filmmaking crew is extremely extremely small and always has been um so the actors really are where the team comes in you know that's kind of where the family comes into it um so yeah i mean uh i would never sort of shoehorn an actor into a role that i didn't think they were appropriate for every film i make new people come on board if i really really like working with them and i think you know, I can get more out of them, then they'll be back for the next one. And then I try and keep writing characters for them. You know, I also tend to pick people who sometimes, you know, there's actors who they could almost be put into any film. Uh, you know, there's the guy I've used the most is a actor in his 70s, Barrington Delaroche. Um, he has long gray hair and tall skinny frame um and he pops up in basically all my movies as the creepy old you know weird old man i mean what horror film doesn't need a creepy old weird old man um so he kind of is easy to write in there but then um you know and and then other times i like to write for a character to do something radically different maybe they were the good guy in one film and now they're going to be the villain um and so yeah i just i've sort of formed this little film family um and you know when i'm when i'm writing my movies i obviously i can't use big name actors but i try and treat my own actors as you know i i pretend that they are uh you know that i'm casting this guy or this guy you know uh, barrington he's potentially like my christopher lee you know so if i'm writing a script and there's a sort of christopher lee role well that's the barrington role you know and, and it kind of goes like that All right that's interesting i didn't really think think about that you know barrington being like uh, the christopher lee role yeah um yeah yeah that's that's pretty interesting um so you know speaking of like christopher lee since we're on the subject i had a question similar uh as far as like what's your favorite universal monster or like hammer horror monster oh my favorite universal monster is definitely the creature from the black lagoon i'm just obsessed with fishmen <laughs> um okay I ended, up, uh, I ended up making this movie the barge people um which wasn't a script written by me it was written by somebody else it's the only time actually that i've made a movie where 
uh, the kind of the script came. It was passed on to me by um, an actress, uh, Kate Davis Speak. She was in Cannibal Farm and House of Violent Desire. And then, I mean, even when we were making Cannibal Farm, actually on the set, she was saying, oh, this film, the style you're going for really reminds me of this script I've read from a writer that I know. Um, so anyway, the script got passed on to me and uh, it was this film, The Barge People, and I read it. And in fact, in the script, um, The Barge People, they weren't fish mutants. They were, um, I guess, sort of like um, the British equivalent of a sort of hillbilly living on the canal. Uh, and... Um, I, I said I'd do the project, but one of the things I did want to change in it was I wanted them to be full-blown monsters um, and ideally fish monsters that could crawl up out of the water of the canal. Um, and so ever since I did that, you know, I realised I really have an obsession with fishmen. Um, and since I've written a bunch of different scripts and projects that involve fishmen, um, I'm still yet to get to make any of my Fishman movies though. Um, but it's uh, definitely the creature I'm most obsessed with. So uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon is it's not a favourite horror film, but as far as creatures go, I think we need more fish monsters in uh, in horror films. Right, right. Yeah, I I was trying to think of like the last time I saw like Fishman, and I think it might have been uh, Stuart Gordon's uh, Dagon movie. Yeah, yeah. I think that was, and that was like early 2000s, I want to say. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. it's been quite a while since we've seen, you know, a, a newer horror movie with, you know, Fishmen inspired characters, which I thought was pretty awesome. Yeah, well, it's interesting because aside from Creature from the Black Lagoon, I guess we don't really have any definitive Fishman monster. You know, if you say Fishman monster uh, or Gilman, you still think Creature from the Black Lagoon. You know, if you say yeah. the monkey, you can think of all kinds of different movies from the 90s, from, from you know, the last sort of few years. Uh, same goes for Dracula. You know, there's they've always had these movies, but Creature from the Black Lagoon has just been completely left alone. Um, yeah. So, uh, I guess, you know, with my, with my movies, even though we were talking earlier about, you know, cashing in on other franchises and sort of ripping off things that are already loved by the horror community. Um, originality is the most important thing, really, when it comes to a story. You know, really, we all want to be telling uh, horror films and horror stories that we've not seen before. Um, and so I guess that's something that really appeals about Fishmen, um, is that because you don't see them so much, that's something I'd love to be able to do. I'd love to be able to put that on screen and sort of, uh, it seems like uh, it's not been explored yet. So I could potentially become known as like, you know, the guy who does fish creatures and stuff. That wouldn't be such a bad thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, you know, uh, uh, I know like we, we've talked a while ago, like uh, just like the whole uh, fish creature, fishman idea. Um, you know, I've, I've read, a few HP Lovecraft books and, you know, some of his stories involve uh, similar characters um, in which, like, in really a lot of his stories, he writes about, like, things in uncharted territories, like, mm -hmm. just the way he writes, which is why I think that I'm drawn to, to his style of writing, or his stories, I should say. You know, a lot of, a lot of the things that he wrote about maybe isn't uh, in good taste as far as 
you know, his language that he used in his writings. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but like, you know, like his story ideas are what, like, you know, interest me, like, you know, the Herbert West reanimator, mm-hmm. um, you know, like, that's just such a great story. And it's, but, you know, yeah. you know as the years have gone on, I've just been drawn more and more and more to Lovecraft. Um, I think in the in in cinema and, and films, we don't have really very many great Lovecraft things. Uh, like there's there's not really any great great adaptations of Lovecraft. Um, even Color Out of Space, even though I mean I'm a huge fan of Richard Stanley's other films. Um, but I was pretty disappointed by Colour Out of Space. Um, um, obviously, loads of things in it I thought they got really right, you know, like the the effects, the visuals, the soundtrack is incredible. Um, but still, I think, you know, no one's managed to really properly tackle Lovecraft. Um, so again, for the same reason as I mentioned about Fishman, uh, Lovecraft is, is really of huge interest to me. Um, I mean, I got into horror, you know, I started to become really obsessed with horror through Stephen King. Um, And I guess uh, it always just sort of come natural to me that that's the ultimate type of horror story. And and, uh, this way of uh, horror storytelling uh, that is familiar to Stephen King, you know, the suburban American towns being plagued by some evil and uh, all his types of ideas. that's always sort of where I'm sort of coming from in terms of when I'm trying to think up my own horror concepts. Um, so Stephen King really is what got me interested as a teenager. Um, I collected all the Stephen King adaptations for film and TV. Um, and uh, that was just, I mean, still now, sometimes I ask myself kind of why am I, you know, why, why am I doing this? Why am I spending almost every day of the year full-time working on horror movies all the time and really it's just because as a teenager when I sat and put on you know like a five-hour Stephen King miniseries and just was able to be absorbed and get totally lost in that world that's the feeling that I just decided is kind of the most important feeling like I'm gonna I'm gonna now spend uh, my life and career trying to recreate that feeling because I love it so much you know it gives me such nostalgia to revisit all those types of Stephen King things um, but yeah like I said uh, as I've sort of gotten older Lovecraft has become really intriguing um, and my uh, most one of my most recent films that is currently in post-production um, has allowed me to go fully Lovecraft um, it's a film it's called Gods of the Deep and it's about a group of scientists who discover a portal on the floor of the ocean uh, in Antarctica and they build a submersible uh, and a crew goes down to the bottom of the ocean to investigate a crew of scientists. Um, And basically at the bottom of the ocean they find the corpse of Cthulhu um, in a sort of ancient ruined city and they take a tissue sample from from the Cthulhu um and when they get the tissue sample on board the submarine it kind of is not as dead as they expected and starts to grow and mutate and infect the crew and uh Mm. then there was a lot of fire and flooding and machine guns so and blood (laughs) so uh, that's what that's what i'm doing in post-production at the moment but as far as i'm aware it'll be 
uh, I mean, Cthulhu is a is a character in it, and we are doing a a, a full. Uh, the film has a full practical man in a suit Cthulhu with the wings and the tentacled face, like traditional Cthulhu, um, with uh, miniatures of the submersible and things like this. Uh, as far as I know, it'll be the first time in a feature film um, that the proper traditional winged Cthulhu creature has been uh, sort of depicted on screen. Very awesome. Yeah, I I definitely will check that movie uh, when <laughs> whenever that's made and, and released. Uh, I definitely want to see that because <laughs> uh, you know I, I I'm in a similar boat. Like I love the uh, you know the H.P. Lovecraft. Uh, adapted stories mm-hmm. and would definitely like to see more of those uh, and you know I know a lot of the ones that have been made are like loosely based on the story so like yeah. I haven't really seen like you know there might be a couple that were like you know, you know pretty faithful to his stories but uh, is this going to be kind of like a, a loosely based HP Lovecraft or is this going to be kind of like uh, you know kind of like adapted like fairly close to any of his stories um well this is a completely sort of um original story concept uh, that i've come up with and it's been in fact i was on the set of an english haunting um which was possibly like three years ago now i can't quite remember but um it was when i was shooting that film that i I just became obsessed with the idea of having a submarine movie um, in which uh, people took a tissue sample from a Cthulhu monster. And I did kind of think that, um, you know, maybe just for the sake of originality, I should change it from Cthulhu too. It could just be any generic sea monster, you know. But um, I'm I'm such a Lovecraft fan and just a Cthulhu fan that I just decided let's try and do a Cthulhu, you know, let's try and make it actually Cthulhu. I mean, H.P. Lovecraft is uh, public domain. Um, so I thought, why not? You know, let's let's try and make it Cthulhu for better or worse. Obviously, I mean, I'd love to have a Hollywood budget uh, and try and tackle Cthulhu and do, you know, a full blown big budget Cthulhu. That would be like a dream for me. Um, but um, but no, uh, I mean, I'd love also to do just a straight up H.P. Lovecraft adaptation. Um, uh, I love, I mean, my one of my dream projects uh, would be The Shadow Over Innsmouth. I'd love to do that as a movie or a series. Um, but I mean, these are the sorts of things uh, I wouldn't want to attempt that, you know, unless I had like a real big budget behind me, which who knows, maybe one day uh, that would come along. Um, but I definitely think, you know, there's there's space for people out there to start really tackling H.P. Lovecraft. I mean, like I said, I, I wasn't a major fan of the Colour Out of Space that Richard Stanley did, but it is really exciting that um, he's making these Lovecraft movies. Um, and obviously, I'm a, I'm a big fan of uh, Stuart Gordon's Reanimator. I mean, I love Stuart Gordon as a director in general. Uh, he's a huge influence on me. Um, you know, I always appreciate filmmakers who, even though the budget isn't necessarily there, um, it's not necess- necessarily like a completely polished movie. 
they still can deliver a great time. Like you only need to be entertaining with a movie. There's something I've sort of learned from making uh, the 10 movies that I've done is, you know, at the end of the day, you just want to sit down and be completely entertained. And I honestly think that 90% of big budget movies that we all sit in front of, they're not entertaining. Uh, they're not telling interesting stories. You kind of just, you can be really blinded by uh, all the effects and the pretty cinematography and the big music and stuff like that. But when it all comes down to it, um, only very few filmmakers uh, working at the moment can really do entertaining movies that actually are going to give you a really good time. And Stuart Gordon, although he never really had like big old budgets or anything like that for his films, every film he goes full throttle. You know, he tries his absolute best to give the horror fans something, you know, outrageous and perverse. And you're always going to have a great time with a Stuart Gordon movie. So that's the sort of filmmaker that I really aspire to be like. Um, I love Reanimator, obviously, is a masterpiece. And I love From Beyond probably even more. Um, so those are definitely two really great Lovecraft adaptations. And in fact, uh, for any uh, people listening to this who are big Lovecraft fans, um, there's a great adaptation of From Beyond uh, that you can watch on YouTube. It's a, a stop motion animation. Um, I've forgotten the filmmaker's name which is a bit annoying, but um, if you just go on YouTube and try and find the From Beyond sort of seven minute stop motion animation, I think that's the best adaptation of Lovecraft I've ever seen uh, because it just absolutely fills you with the dread of what Lovecraft writes about. I think it's the only time I've watched something on screen that gave me the feeling of like reading the book and uh, and feeling the, the sort of the vibe of the stories where you just feel this dread. Um, is really cool. Wow, yeah, I'm gonna have to definitely check that out myself. It sounds really interesting. We're gonna talk about Dark Temple motion pictures, but first we're gonna hear a word from the Prescribed Film Podcast Network, and then we will be right back to the conversation. You're listening to the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal, providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening. Sure. Um, so I, I wanted to mention also uh, you're a part of, uh, or I guess I'll ask you, like, is it your company, Dark Temple Motion? Is it Motion Pictures? Yeah, that's right. So basically, um, when I started making my feature films, um, I just wanted to have a, a sort of a, I wanted to build a brand that hopefully when people see my logo come up at the start of a movie they understand 
you know, exactly what they're about to watch. You know, like I was saying about um, Stuart Gordon movies, uh, you know, you know what you're going to get from a Stuart Gordon movie. And I'm really inspired by companies like Charles Band with uh, Empire Pictures and Full Moon Features. When Full Moon Features comes up at the start of a movie now, you know, um, people who grew up in the 90s, you're just filled with nostalgia. Uh, you know, when you put yeah. on Puppet Master or any of these types of movies. Um, and so I created this brand, Dark Temple Motion Pictures. Um, it's supposed to be representative of, you know, my, my team of actors. Like you said, you see the same faces again and again, like Hammer Horror using uh, Christopher Lee or whoever. Uh, you recognize this is a Dark Temple movie. You've got these faces and you're going to get a horror film that's really inspired by 70s and 80s horror movies. Um, so that's basically uh, what the company is all about. And um, yeah, and I mean, aside from that, it's basically, it's really just me that runs the, the whole show. Wow. That's very cool, man. I, uh, I do want to say uh, I love the uh, almost kind of like that VHS retro uh, mm -hmm. Dark Temple motion pictures intro that you have in most of your films. <laughs> yeah. uh, I just I really dig that that. Uh, you know that title sequence if you will like it's it's really awesome and uh, and i'm glad that that you have something like that for your company yeah yeah it, uh it's just it, you know it, it's it's a nostalgia factor for like you know people maybe my age or older or, you know our age and older uh it's just something that we grew up watching and it's it's really nice to just kind of see you know something so simple like that just pop up on the screen when you're watching a newer horror movie it's it's kind of it's kind of just a good feeling to see like okay like you know we're gonna watch a you know a good horror movie and uh yeah I mean, it's, it's, only, it's nice that that kind of thing is still alive i think uh time will only time will tell but i'm hoping that you know maybe out there somewhere some young teenagers like you know horror fans like i was back when i was a kid um you know having a sleepover with their mates and they're chucking on the barge people or they're chucking on winter skin and this logo's coming up and maybe they've seen one or two of my films and they start to recognize it or even seek out the other ones that i've done um you know and maybe one day they might be uh, you know older and and have a sort of nostalgia for the logo i don't know i mean that's the sort of uh, that's what i was aiming for you know right right yeah i hope it works man and it works in uh it, i, I kind of had something to follow up with with what we're talking about yeah um do you still collect vhs tapes oh yeah no I, yeah i do i mean um in more recent years uh, i've become more interested in vhs um i didn't have a, a video player at all um in the sort of past i say 10 years um but, um a couple of years ago, I got really interested in wanting to sort of relive the sort of nostalgia of VHS. So I had to get a train sort of halfway across London to go and get this uh, video. Um, it's like a TV with a built-in built video player, um, kind of just like what I had when I was a kid in my bedroom. Um, because, you know, it's just really nice to relive a very just the, the, the simpler times where you just spent a whole weekend just sitting in your room and putting in a horror vhs and and watching it and uh 
So yeah, I went I went across London. I picked up this TV and dragged it all the way back to my flat, um, and now have it here uh, in my flat now. And I I still love I love buying uh, buying movies and just sitting and watching uh, horror movies on VHS. It's really there's something relaxing about it, and like I say, like very nostalgic. But um, I specifically like to collect horror movies that have not had a DVD release um, or a Blu-ray release. That's kind of uh, what I go for with uh, my my VHS collection. So I'm always scouting through eBay looking for horror films, and then wow, one pops up. I've never even heard of it. You know, I've never even seen it before, but the cover's incredible. Uh, so you just kind of take a chance and watch it. And I've been able to find some gems uh, by just sort of like watching through, you know? Right, right, man. That That's awesome. I, I kind of, uh, you know, I guess like for me, I have a, a pretty big VHS collection. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm getting to the point where it's like, it's like, I mean, what, what am I what am I looking for like you know I have so many and I you know I'm kind of in the, in the same uh, as you like I'm trying to find ones that aren't even on disc yet mm-hmm. and and uh, and really uh, also like uh, like the promo covers too like uh, you know like uh, bleeders there's a horror movie called bleeders and it actually has like blood on the cover mm-hmm. and like you, it's almost like a blood pack and you can see squeeze it and like you know the blood moves around or uh you know like uh, there's a movie called dead pit and you can press there's actually a button on the cover and it the eyes glow up and makes noises like well that's i mean that's part of the beauty of uh, vhs and and i mean what we're talking about this sort of 70s and 80s nostalgia i mean a, a video can be kind of like a work of art you know it's so pretty like just sitting there and it's that sort of a childish joy and excitement you used to get from being in blockbuster and you pick up a video box and Mm -hmm. look at this cover look at this artwork i mean nowadays you look at you know you go into the supermarket and you look at the horror movies that are coming out through warner brothers or whatever uh jesus the covers are so uninspiring they're they're grey and there's just, you know, some actor's face on the cover and the font, you've seen it a hundred times before, it's boring, you know. I mean, perfect example, you look at the Stephen King book covers nowadays and compare them to a Stephen King book cover from when they first came out in their first editions. I mean, one is, you know, absolutely captivating and full of imagination and then the modern ones, you know, there's just some sort of, horrible modern graphic with some you know they don't even look like horror books anymore um what you know what, right. what's up with that uh, i mean when it comes to my own film posters and my film covers i mean um it's kind of uh it's kind of a tragedy for independent filmmakers like me when you put your movie out you know i'm not i'm not the head of marketing or anything like that i mean and viewers viewers they can forget this that you know I'm the filmmakers are not in charge necessarily of the title of the film or the cover of the film you know I didn't decide what goes on the front cover so in fact um, most of my front covers of my movies I despise Um, I mean uh, if you have a look at uh, we were talking about my film Winter Skin I mean you look at the cover for Winter Skin it's got nothing whatsoever to do with the movie (laughs) That is inside. I, I made a movie that was sort of like a 
in in terms of its style, it's inspired by sort of Italian westerns of the 70s, Sergio Corbucci movies and stuff like that. Um, and I guess it's crossing something like that over with something like Misery. Um, and then you look at the front cover and there's bloody snow creatures and a guy in a, like a army shirt with a modern tactical shotgun. I mean, what the hell was the marketing team thinking? Uh, it's dreadful. So I actually, uh, out of my own pocket, I always commission my own posters and my own original artwork for my films. Uh, the only way you'd really see that artwork, I guess, is sometimes it's uh, the top artwork on IMDb for the movie. Sometimes it's on Google Images. You can see them on my website. But, you know, I've commissioned artists like um, I love the artist Sadist Art Designs, who you know most horror fans are probably familiar with. If you don't know the name, you don't recognize his designs. Um, you know, these guys, these these artists who are currently uh, creating really retro, really cool, um, old school horror art. Um, and it's not cheap to get these right. things made. But, you know, my hallway of my flat is lined with, um, you know, old fashioned hand painted illustrations of my movies um, that are definitely not like the DVD covers that I hate so much. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like, you know, uh, to add to that, uh, the Escape from Cannibal Farm cover that, like, you have on the Dark Temple website, mm -hmm. it's it's fantastic. You know, I, I think that that's a great artwork, and, uh, you know, they, they need to uh, stick with that for, like, you know, the DVD distribution, like, just have that on the cover for, like, you know, the copies over here in the United States. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, that's uh, that that uh, that illustration was by Sadist Art Designs, um, and I love it. I think he's done a fantastic job. I think he's an amazing artist. If it was up to me, I would slap that on the DVD cover, and hopefully, then it would appeal to the right horror fans. You know, fans of movies of the seventies and the eighties, and who want this type of horror, they'd recognize immediately what we're going for, and they'd pick it up and they'd buy it. Um, I guess the unfortunate facts or so i'm told by basically every distributor i've worked with um is that something like that doesn't sell and the you know walmart are just not going to pick up something like that and then if you don't have sales then you know i can't afford to have a career making movies so there's a bit of give and take you know you have to get your movie title changed or have some cgi stock image slapped on the front cover and I guess that keeps you in business. And then here you are just sat around hoping that, you know, someone's going to take a chance on your movie uh, with its non-representative cover with terrible computer game looking artwork. Um, and uh, hopefully then turn on the film and, and see it for what it really is, which is um, not, what's, not what's on the cover. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Um... So I got like a, a few more questions for you. Um, what uh, movies have you seen lately that you would recommend that people check out? Um, that's a hard question because only because um, this whole year, 2021 so far, I've only spent about four or five weeks at home and the rest of it I've set, I've, I've been on set, I've been on location. Um, I've had like the busiest year 
Um, so I've not been able to watch much um, horror, but some that I guess they're not super recent, but some that I've loved. Um, one was Doctor Sleep. Uh, I think that Mike Flanagan is just like the current master of horror movies. Um, like I said, I'm a huge Stephen King fan. So uh, the, do the movie Doctor Sleep, I just, I love that type of a horror movie. Um, that's that's like a, the sort of horror movie I'd love to one day be able to make. Um, so Doctor Sleep, I love. Uh, another one I really enjoyed was The Lighthouse. Um, I just thought that again was a, was a really awesome movie. You know, we were talking about some of the original movies that A24 are putting out there. Um, and The Lighthouse, uh, I just thought was fantastic. Um, I was desperate to see it, having seen the trailer on the internet, and it was having its first screenings at the London Film Festival. This was about, it, it was many months before it went on general release. Um, so like, if you could get a ticket to see it at the London Film Festival, then you were gonna see this film, you know, way before everyone else. And wow. the tickets sold out immediately and I didn't get one. And then on the day of the screening, of the first screening, I was sort of miserable at home because I knew the screening was happening and I wasn't going to be able to get a ticket. Um, so I went on the internet and just for a split second, one of the seats became available. So I booked it. Um, and then for the rest of the day, it remained entirely sold out. But for some reason, this one seat just popped up. So really spontaneously, I mean, I had like 20 minutes to quickly get ready and go out. And off I went to um, go and watch The Lighthouse on Leicester Square. Um, and the director was there, came on and introduced the film. And Willem Dafoe introduced the film and sat across from me. A uh, couple of seats along the cinema row was Edgar Wright. Um, so, you know, it was a really cool experience to go and see this wow. movie, but it blew me away. And to go and watch um, a film like that in an absolutely packed out cinema in Leicester Square um, with, you know, the, the filmmakers in attendance and people like Edgar Wright sat a couple of seats from you um, was a really cool experience. But the film absolutely blew me away. Um, so I really enjoyed The Lighthouse. Um, those two come to mind as films that you know are instant favorites in the horror genre for me yeah right on man that's amazing that, that they were there at the screen yeah that's the perks cool. of living in london is to be able to you know just hop along spontaneously to an event like that <laughs> wow wow that's incredible man it's incredible so like i know like we're not gonna have time to talk about all of your movies because you know you made so many horror movies and mm -hmm. with so little time it's hard to, to get to all of them, uh, but what, uh, I guess, uh, out of all the films you've made, what was like the craziest part that you've had to film or like what was the, um, like the most dangerous thing that you've had to, had to film? Um, well, anything involving fire <laughs> always gets a little bit dodgy. Um, I mean, in the film, that uh, the, this Cthulhu movie that I was telling you about, Gods of the Deep, um, it's set on a, a submersible. It's, it's not a submarine necessarily. It's a sort of futuristic submersible that we built as a set. Um, and I mean, for a lot of my movies, I build um, 
sets completely from scratch, which is quite unusual, I think, for indie films of my level. But um, if you look at a film like A Werewolf in England, the entire of the um, the inn where the whole film is set, this Victorian Gothic inn, the whole thing is set from scratch. You know, I personally painted and wallpapered and put the nails in the wall and hung every picture and bought every piece of furniture and uh, hung up the curtains and dressed that set from scratch. Um, and the same goes for this uh, submersible for the film Gods of the Deep. Um, you know, we've had to we've had to build this sort of submarine looking thing out of, you know, pipes and all sorts of bits and pieces. And in the centre of the set is a um, swimming pool because uh, they're, uh, they're, uh, they can they can lower like a escape pod into the pool. So we had to build the set on stilts so that, um, you know, you could open these pressure doors and that there would be, you know, a, a meter or so of water um, underneath the set that, you know, obviously characters end up falling in there and all sorts of stuff and splashing around. Um, but uh, with Gods of the Deep, um, there was a lot of fire, there was a lot of water. So to be able to, you know, be running around handheld in a set where you've got gallons of water sort of gushing down from the ceiling and also, you know, things on fire all around you and actors and the smoke machine and, and flashing emergency lights and stuff. Um, that's been really fun. Um, and the same goes for um, with like a werewolf in England, you know, having... Um, People in the werewolf suits, you know, they're all practical um, and the actors inside the suits are basically blind. Uh, they can't really see where they're going or what they're doing. So you've got them throwing things around and leaping over furniture. Uh, there's a scene where a character um, has like a sort of flaming stick and is waving it in the werewolf's face and stuff like that. So all these things are all a bit mad to film and they're not necessarily entirely safe. Um, but um, also earlier this year, I shot a movie called, uh, well, I think it's not, it's coming out later this year, but the the title I think they're going with is Werewolf Castle, uh, which is not the title that I made for the, when I wrote the script. Um, but yeah, it's going to be called Werewolf Castle. And so we rented out this gigantic um, ancient castle ruins in Wales here um, and uh, had sort of a, shirtless um it's, a, it's sort of like a fantasy film so we had like a shirtless you know muscly hero with a gigantic sword that's about the size of him um swinging it around and and getting chased by werewolves and i did a sort of um one take on the steady cam uh where i follow him through the ruins of the castle and all in and out of the different um sort of ruined archways and alleyways and stuff and we've got all the different men in wolf costumes sort of fighting with him and getting slashed so that, you know all sorts of stuff like that is is really fun but um can be dangerous from time to time right I'll, uh, if he, I don't know if you can answer this, but uh, I was kind of wondering, what was the original title for Werewolf Castle? Oh, the original title was Silver Blade, um, which was kind of like, uh, basically I was approached by a company to make a werewolf movie um, set in the medieval time, you know, like a fantasy werewolf movie. And the criteria was the werewolves at some point had to be at a castle. They wanted werewolves in a medieval castle. So I came up with this whole fantasy story of knights fighting with werewolves um, and I called it Silver Blade. 
um, kind of like Silver Bullet, but this is the medieval version of Silver Bullet, if you like, Silver Blade. Oh, okay. uh, so that's the title that um, the cast and crew have come to know the film as, but I believe it's going to be changed to Werewolf Castle. And then uh, the same company were behind my film, A Werewolf in England, which was just straight up called Werewolves. Um, there's no, or there was at the time, no film called Werewolves. And I kind of thought of it as, as like aliens, you know, I love the title aliens, but this is werewolves, you know, a whole bunch okay. of werewolves all fighting. Um, but no, they called it a werewolf in England. And um, I did suggest, you know, maybe it could be called werewolves in England because there's six werewolves in the movie. Um, but they were, mm -hmm. uh, they wanted to keep just a werewolf in England, which you've seen the movie doesn't make really any sense but this is what i'm talking about with the distributors uh they call it what they want and they put what they want on the front cover and uh you just go along with it basically <laughs> for better or worse right on right on man um I, I noticed on imdb that there's one more movie that that you have in post-production the haunting of bloody tower is there anything you could uh, tell us about that film yeah, so once again, um, The Haunt and the Bloody Tower, that's like a working title for the movie, so I have no idea what it's going to end up being called. Um, but yeah, um, this was uh, a company approached me and they said uh, they wanted me to write a movie based around the true life story of um, the two princes who were allegedly murdered in the Tower of London, um, which there's... Uh, it's allegedly Richard III who um, murdered the princes. Um, so I looked into the history of it and I came up with this movie, uh, this movie concept. And it's basically, uh, first of all, it's a, it's a 100 page script. So this is quite a chunky, long movie. I, I've really, with this one, like, I've really indulged um, in sort of my tastes in horror. And, you know, you can see my sort of Stephen King um, my love of Stephen King sort of comes out in this movie. You know, I, I usually keep my scripts a very tight sort of 80 pages um, because in the, you know, at the end of the day, you're making sort of um, straight to DVD movies. People only want to really put them on and watch them for about 80 minutes. You know, you're not going to be able to hold their attention for much longer than that um, with with your budget level and your, you know, no named actors and stuff like that. Um, but anyway, The Haunting of Bloody Tower is a complicated story. In a nutshell, um, in the Tower of London, two, the two princes have been murdered and other members of the um, sort of royal family, I guess, are attempting to, you know, they're, they're, they're corrupt, they're involved in the murder of the princes. They're trying to get the, get the, uh, the crown. Um, and a couple of them... Uh, hatch a plan you know one of them is a is a priest they hatch a plan to try and sort of uh, unmask the corruption that's happening in the Tower of London and find out who really murdered the two princes um, meanwhile there's a villager who's been through a lot of personal trauma um, and is now sort of a lone traveler who can see the dead he speaks to the dead he has a like a uh, an hourglass you know like a sand timer and he turns the glass and can contact the dead and that's what he's doing to make a living um and this priest ends up finding him and taking him to the tower of london where he's gonna basically speak to the ghosts of the two princes 
to find out what's really happened. Um, but it's sort of a very sinister movie that takes a bit of a dark turn. Um, and uh, I don't want to spoil anything, of course, but, you know, we ended up having a lot of cool uh, cool scenes in sort of like the torture chamber. It's very much inspired by things like Witchfinder General and Blood on Satan's Claw and that type of old school um, medieval British horror. Um, so we got to do loads of cool torture scenes. I had guys hung up naked by the ankles in the freezing cold winter being sort of whipped and having torture devices forcibly inserted into certain places and it's very like sort of uh, brutal and bloody um oh, so wow. that's, that that's that one that's in post-production and it'll be out next year awesome yeah i'll definitely have to check that one out um that's kind of cool uh or uh just reminds me of something uh i had written down like a, a recommendation you know we were talking about recommendations earlier um, I, I actually watched recently a movie called The Reckoning, who uh -huh. uh, was uh, directed by Neil Marshall, who, who did uh, The Descent. Mm -hmm. And he kind of has, uh, you know, uh, The Reckoning kind of has some similar things to what you're saying. And uh, it's, it's on Shudder now, so if the listeners are listening and they want to check out The Reckoning, it's actually a, a pretty good movie based on, like, what they did to, uh, to uh, witches back in, in the uh, in the dark days of, uh, you know, if, if you were uh, accused of being a witch, there's a lot of, like, torturous things that they did to these uh, women to get them to confess that they're witches. And uh, it's it's a very dark, brutal, medieval-type movie that, uh, you know, people should check out for sure. Uh, I don't know. Have, have you seen that one yet, uh, Charlie, or not? No, no, I'm really eager to check it out. Um, but I have read, um, there's a, see, in my uh, Bloody Tower movie, there's a torture scene involving an instrument called the Pair of Anguish, um, a torture device. And I've read that they also use it in The Reckoning in, like, one really brutal scene. Um, and I've never watched a film where the Pair of Anguish has ever been used before. Um so I'm kind of annoyed that I've also done a scene with the pair of anguish. So I'm I'm gonna watch the film. I mean, I'm sure they've got. I mean, I know they've got a much bigger budget and better sort of effects and stuff like that. So I'm sure there'll be the better pair of anguish scene. But um, uh, I would need to check it out just out of curiosity, having <laughs> researched and now filmed my own scene with the pair of anguish. <laughs> oh no, I I didn't realize you guys had the same. <laughs> same type of uh, torture device but you know look at like the pit and the pendulum like you know the pendulum has been used in several movies so it's not like exactly yeah yeah you know it's not like oh you use something that another movie used uh yeah i mean I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the descent um i just the descent is a is a real masterpiece i think it's one of the scariest films ever made so anything with neil marshall's name on it i always will watch for sure for sure yeah it's you know it's a beautifully shot movie and it, you know it really captures uh I, I think it captures like the aesthetics of like what would actually happen back then and you know it's it's, it's uh i was pleasantly surprised uh seeing it being a, a shutter exclusive um actually i've been uh presence present ugh, pleasantly surprised with uh some of the the shutter uh, originals or shutter exclusives that are on there that are actually pretty good so uh 
you know. I've, I've been really meaning to watch and been desperate to watch for ages um, Psycho Goreman. Um, I know that's on Shudder. I still haven't watched it, but um, that's a director who, you know, as a, hor- as a horror fan, you know, everyone should have their eye on. I mean, everyone does have their eye on. Um, but, um, you know, that's a director who's really great. And he did a movie, um, I think it was Leprechaun Returns, which, uh, you know, you, you don't have great expectations going into Leprechaun Returns. Um, right. And uh, it was fantastic. It was, it was one of the best horror movies I've seen of the last sort of like two or three years when it comes to like just a fun night of, you know, grab a bag of popcorn and stick a horror movie on. It delivers. Right. Um, he's probably the most exciting director um, outside of maybe Mike Flanagan uh, working in horror at the moment. For sure, for sure, man. Yeah, uh, Second Gorman is pretty good, and it, it definitely hits, uh, I don't know, the, the nostalgia crowd, like, you know, going mm. back to, like, the 80s horror and uh, uh, even, like, the early 90s, like, with Power Rangers. Like, just <laughs> some, some of the uh, characters and whatnot just really remind me of, like, you know, the Power Ranger days and... Uh, you never really see that these days. So I think that was uh, one of the cool things about Psycho Goreman was just kind of kind of delivering uh, to uh, almost like a certain crowd or you know, like a certain niche of, of people that would get it. Yeah, yeah. And, well, well something miss from from not just horror films but almost all movies these days is you know in the eighties films were fun. You know, like you sat and watched a horror movie, like let's take, for example, something like uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, Dream Warriors or something like that, or the Blob remake or something. These films were like real fun, a real good time. You know, um, they're not necessarily scary horror films. They're, they're really just there to be full blown entertainment. And nowadays, almost every horror trailer that comes on, it's dark, it's dull, it's dingy. You know, it's the same old trailer music playing, you know, with the same old suspense strings or whatever. I'm bored of it. I'm sick of it. You know, I want to see, I want to have fun again when I'm watching a horror movie. Um, You know, unless you're going to absolutely nail it, like a film like Hereditary or something like that, then, uh, you know, certainly when it comes to the lower budget stuff, um go for uh you know i want to see more of the fun side of horror come back and i think maybe i don't know maybe audiences just aren't really giving it a chance anymore but uh with with that type of film but when i made uh my film like death ranch for example um that was all about just you know even though the the subject matter is a little taboo and it's you know serious and dark in places um, I'm really just trying to give people like the all out fun experience of like an old grindhouse movie, you know, it's, it's obscene, it's, uh, exciting and, and all of that sort of thing. I think what more could you really want from a movie to deliver? But, um, I don't know, audiences seem to be a bit hung up on the sort of dull, depressing side of horror these days. Yeah. Yeah. It is interesting. I don't know why, why it is that way, but, uh, yeah, man, I, I definitely miss, uh, you know, I, I guess there's like a time and a place for everything, but like, there it seemed like there was a time where, uh, you know, a comedy horror was, was a really big thing in like, you know, in like the essence of like Child's Play, how like, you know, the first one is actually, you know, 
pretty dark, pretty serious. But then the sequels kind of got to where it's like uh, Chucky started becoming more like the later Freddy and just kind of like a comedian while he's killing people. Mm -hmm. Same with like Leprechaun, even though like Leprechaun was kind of right off the bat uh, pretty hilarious in but but yet you know he's still killing people so that that's uh, still a, a dark you know dark subject matter but um you know i mean you don't really see a whole lot of that anymore either besides you know uh, leprechaun returns and then a possible reboot of uh, child's play the tv mm -hmm. show i don't know how that's going to pan out if it's going to be comedy or serious but you know, it, it's it's one of those things where you don't really see a whole lot of <laughs> that coming back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyways, um, so I know like you got uh, like three movies in post-production right now. Um, do, do you have anything uh, more in the works as far as uh, your next movie? Or are those kind of the movies you're uh, focusing on right now? Well, yeah, it's kind of unusual to have three films in post-production at the same time, because, you know, like like you said, when you introduced me at the start of the uh, podcast, uh, in only like sort of five years, I've, I've ended up making like 10 feature films. Um, and so basically what I've been doing is like two feature films per year, um, and I do it as a a full-time career and and kind of just takes over my life entirely basically i don't have time for really anything else other than just making film after film um but uh when uh covid came along and um the lockdown happened and everything um i spent the whole of 2020 having only made one film in january which was a werewolf in england um and didn't make another film for a year um, so it was a real sort of like quiet period. I mean, obviously there, there was a pandemic and multiple lockdowns in the UK and stuff like that. So you couldn't just sort of get out there and make a film. But um, basically I used that time to get a bunch of funding um, for, for, you know, I've got the most funding I've ever got and uh, taken on the most projects at one time that I've ever attempted. Um, and then I wrote a bunch of scripts and then here we are with, you know, three films in post-production. And like I said, from about January the 1st until, you know, now in July, I've spent all of about four or five weeks in my own home and the rest of it, I've been on location or on set or building, you know, this, that or the other. So I've had a really busy year. Um, I plan to spend the rest of the year um, basically editing, getting all of this stuff cut together um, I do know what my next film is, um, and I'm writing the script for it at the moment. It's a true crime movie based on um, uh, a real-life serial killer. Um, and then I kind of also know what my next sort of two projects after that are going to be as well. But uh, we're talking now about films in uh, 2020 because... I just don't have the time to, to get around to them until then. I mean, wow. I wish that uh, I wish that I had um, an editor uh, so that I could just get back on set, you know, next month. Um, but um, I also I also do the post production on the movies, um, and uh, yeah, so it's all catching up with me at the moment. But um, more horror, 
Um, and uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're a busy man, Charlie. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, I got to say that that's my hats off to you, man, because that's really impressive to see to see you pump out so many movies in such a short amount of time. And then, you know, you're still going, man, which is, uh, you know, I think a lot of directors, it, it takes them years to, to get where you are right now. And uh, so I, you know, I gotta say, it's really incredible for for you to just to keep going, man, and, and to keep making more horror movies and, and uh, different subgenres. And it's awesome, man. Thanks. Well, I mean, filmmaking is like uh, addiction, really. You know, you're you're addicted to. Uh, really, for me, I mean, my favorite part of the whole thing is the writing. I just I I love writing movies, and then I love, well, I sort of love then going to set and trying to bring them to life. I mean, it can be a bit of a nightmare, um, but uh, I love the writing, and um, it's just an addiction you know it's it's hard to stop and if someone's sort of waving a budget in front of me and saying oh come and do it and i'll pay you this much and uh you know if it's there then um i can't help myself but but take take the uh, <laughs> take the deal and go ahead and do it um but i mean something i really am trying to drive the focus back towards you know even though um, as I've gone on making films, I'm able to make more and more with bigger budgets um, and, you know, make sure it's a, a full time living for myself. Um, you know, I, I tend to be making movies at the moment where somebody comes to me with an idea. OK, we want a werewolf film set in the Victorian period. Can you write that and direct it for us? And luckily for me, I'm kind of completely left to my own devices creatively. And I can pretty much write whatever story I want, as long as it's got werewolves and as long as it's in the Victorian period, um, which is really cool. Um, but I'm really, you know, what, I'd, what I'm really hoping to do more of, and this was something that my film Death Ranch kind of taught me a little bit, is um, to just make films that are totally out there that, you know, when I came up with the idea for Death Ranch, I pitched it to a bunch of people and there was just no way that nobody was going to fund a film in which, you know, uh, uh, three black characters come up against, you know, the KKK in, uh, you know, 1970s South America and go on basically a killing revenge spree, you know, and uh, uh -huh. it just, no one was going to touch it. Um, so years later, um, I managed to find some guys who were willing to invest uh, just sort of private money into the film. And <clears throat> sort of off I went and made it on a real shoestring. Um, and then to sort of everyone's surprise, it's been picked up by a good distributor and now it's on the shelf in Walmart. And I kind of can't believe that I'm looking at a DVD with... Uh, you know, my characters on the front cover in, in a piece of cover art that is reminiscent of, you know, uh, old exploitation Jack Hill movies like Foxy Brown or something like that. And uh, exploitation movies with the uh, poster creases on the front cover of the DVD. For indie film, that's something I have not been used to. Um, so now my focus is really aiming to steer back towards like what we were talking about, you know, making making unique original horror films that only could be made by me. Um, and so it's fun for the meantime making uh, werewolf films or, um, 
you know, vampire movies where someone needs asked me to come along and do that for them. But um, I have some really bizarre ideas of the sorts of horror films that just you've never seen before. They've never really been done before. Um, and that would push the boundaries. I mean, you won't be seeing them on the shelf at Walmart, but I need to kind of figure out as a filmmaker, how do I get that movie onto the shelf at Walmart, you know, <laughs> which is kind of what we just did with Death Ranch. You know, I never thought I'd see, you know, the KKK getting massacred uh, on the shelves in a sort of black exploitation inspired movie. Um, yet there it is um, selling copies. So um, that's kind of um, surprised me in a way and, and uh, is interesting. So, yeah, that's kind of my, my current goals, you know. Right on. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, the, actually, I, I picked up Death Ranch at Walmart, so mm -hmm. it, it is pretty cool to to see. And actually, I've seen the barge people at Walmart as well. So you've uh -huh. had a few movies uh, that are at Walmart, which is, I think, uh, pretty huge because you know that's that's a big uh, chain company, you know, from all over the the country in the United States, and you know, so you know, there's going to be a lot of people grabbing your movie and watching it and a cool feeling to know that you know there's so many people out there that can just go, go to their store <laughs> grab yeah. food you know grab some clothes and then go in the back and grab a movie um it's yeah. gotta be pretty cool man by this point i've got you know 10 films or so under my belt um which kind of just proves that you know to make a film um, good or bad is is not necessarily that difficult, but the hardest part will always be just getting people to watch the movie. You know, just just getting it to the right places and getting it to the right platforms. You know, um, not all of my movies have made it to Walmart, but you know, if you can get your film in Walmart or Redbox or wherever, um, you know, that's a huge part of the. Um, you know, you want to reach an audience. Yeah. yeah. And that's probably, uh, probably still the, the biggest challenge, you know, something that's kind of completely out of the filmmaker's control. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, like, uh, as we get close to, like, closing the show, uh, I, I want to mention that you have your own podcast as well. Uh, yeah. The Dark Temple podcast. Yes. Yeah, uh, so, can you um, talk a little bit about that? Yeah, last year um, during the pandemic, when we we're all stuck in the lockdown, um, it was kind of nice in a way to just slow down a little bit for me. Um, I had I had a hell of a lot of work to do because I had Death Ranch, which was still in post production. I had all the post production to do on a werewolf in England. So you know, my my uh, my workload is always a major rush, you know, like I said, filmmaking is an addiction. And, you know, even now I've got three films in post-production and it can be kind of stressful. Um, but what I wanted to do was um, start up my own podcast where I could just kind of slow down and reflect upon the 10 movies that I've made in such a short space of time. Um, because, you know, when I go to events like film festivals, um, when sometimes it's the only time that, you know, the entire cast are all together in the same room, or at least the only time you'll ever get them together outside of actually the days you're on set. Um, and so, you know, we're 
on on the uh, we're at the premiere on Leicester Square for like the barge people at Fright Fest, um, and all the cast are gathered, and I've not seen them all together in about three years because the film that film actually took quite a long time to get finished. Um, and I'm hearing all these stories and people are reminiscing and I'm hearing stories that involve me and, and my film and stuff that I didn't even hear these stories. And they're really interesting, funny anecdotes that we're all talking about over a beer and stuff like that. And um, you just rem sometimes it's nice to just stop and actually just look back and remember and, and think, oh, wow, you know, that was, you know, I went here, I went here and, uh, you know, my films take me from you know Tennessee to Finland and to France and Wales and all around England um so you're really doing so much in a short space of time and it's sometimes you do get lost in a sort of a bit of a cloud you know the the films I've shot this year like I said I've been so busy all year it really is like a whirl, a whirlwind I can't really remember some of the stuff that happened there's just been so much filming um right. so i started up the podcast as a way to really reflect on my movies um just record the fun times and the anecdotes from the set and the locations um because so much heart and soul goes into these movies you know there's there's certainly not much money that goes into the movies but a lot of passion and spirit and um you know, good fun times goes into the movies. And really, I want to be able to share that with, you know, the viewers of the films. Um, and so I created the Dark Temple podcast. Um, I managed to record about 10 episodes and I managed to release about six episodes before I then ended up on this film filmmaking marathon spree that I've been doing for the last few months then naturally the podcast has kind of had to go on hold um but soon as I've sort of got a little bit of free time I will be sort of get back and on get getting back onto it um and I've got loads of like I said I mean I've got interviews and recordings that I've done I just haven't been able to release yet because I'm trying to do it on a sort of fortnightly schedule um but I'll be getting back to the podcast and uh and I'll be interviewing just I mean, by this point, I've worked with, you know, anywhere between 100 and 200 different actors and collaborators and composers from various different countries and stuff. So um, I just like to hear their experience of the film set and just sort of document what we're doing um, as a little a filmmaking team. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. I, I listened to one with uh, Davy Speaks and it, it's, it's really cool that you can, you know, sit down and talk to you know the actors and, and the the crew that you work with yeah and, you know just share stories and just have a good time talking about you know everyone's experiences it's it's pretty cool and i think people should check out uh the dark temple podcast if uh you know you're a fan of charlie's movies or if you've seen his movies and whatever it's definitely a good place to go to and uh and and, and listen to them yeah thanks for bringing uh, that and you know and, yeah man yeah i i thought uh you know i i you know i thought that was a really cool thing for for you to do is to have a podcast with your uh actors and you know like just just that idea is really cool i don't really see a whole lot of uh filmmakers doing podcasts and, and talking mm -hmm. to their their crew so, you know that, that's just another thing that you have here toolbox 
and uh, you know, and I just want to say uh, as as we uh, wind down here, uh, you know, good luck to you on on your next films and your next projects, man. I I will probably be sitting back and uh, you know, gearing up. Can't wait to to watch the next one, man. Awesome, thank you. Well, I hope you continue to enjoy them. <laughs> for sure. Well, hey, Charlie, thank you for coming on the show, man. I, I really appreciate you coming on here and talking about the horror genre and your filmography. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. That was episode 66 on the Root Horror Podcast. I just want to say a big thanks to Charlie Steeds for taking the time to come on the show and talk about his movies and the horror genre and uh i can't wait to watch gods of the deep and some of those other movies that he's working on they sound pretty awesome so uh, i will stay tuned for those and i can't wait to check those out Uh, i hope you guys check out some of charlie's movies if you haven't they're pretty awesome so uh you can find some on uh, a couple of them are on Tubi TV. There's some on Amazon Prime, Death Ranches at Walmart, and you might be able to find the Barge People. I was kind of having a hard time finding it. I should have just picked it up when I <laughs> seen it the first time, but I guess that's what I get for not picking it up. Uh, but anyways, I will put the link to his website, darktemple.co.uk. I'll put the link to his website in the description of this episode. And you can also find his podcast, Dark Temple Podcast. The links are on his website as well if you're having trouble finding his podcast. I know it's on uh, Apple Podcast and SoundCloud, but you can also get a hold of the RSS feed and then put it into wherever you stream your podcasts. Like for me, I stream my podcast through Podbean a lot of the times. And when there's not podcasts on Podbean already, you can use the RSS feed of a particular podcast. Put it on uh, onto wherever you stream and uh, it should pop up. Then you can save it to wherever and... It'll always run through wherever you listen to podcasts. Just a little tip if you didn't know. But yeah, that was the episode. And uh, for me, you can find all my links at www.linktree.com forward slash podcast. That's where you can find everything. Social media, my website, uh, several links to where I stream my podcasts, um, my email rudehorror at gmail.com if you have any uh, questions for me to answer on the air I will do so or just for whatever if you're a filmmaker or you know work within the horror genre and you want me to feature your movie or you know want to be a guest on the show just send me an email I'll even do uh, movie reviews if you send me your movie I'll do movie reviews once I can get around to them. Um, all that fun stuff. Just go to www.linktree.com forward slash root horror podcast. And uh, a big thanks to uh, the Prescribed Films Podcast Network for 
having the Root Horror Podcast on the network. There's tons and tons of uh, content on there. It's amazing. Like every day, it seems like there's a new episode from somebody. So it's a network that never stops, doesn't sleep. So uh, big thanks to the network and all of the fellow podcasts within the network. It's been awesome. Uh, so Root Horror Radio is probably next. Stay tuned for that. If you want to hear a mixture of all kinds of music, I'm going to have like metal, rock, a little bit of punk, rap, hip hop, instrumental, uh, just you name it. It, There's going to be a lot of stuff on there. And then uh, I'll have some more stuff lined up after that. So uh, all I got to say is uh, stay tuned for the next one.